Hi, I'm Drew. And I'm John. This episode and every future episode is for all the horror hounds out there and the smokers too, who want to expand their knowledge of the genre and have a good time. Today we have a special guest with us, Frank Farrell, who you listeners know as the producer of Spookies as well as Street Trash. He's also the guy in Street Trash who gets his dick cut off and thrown around. (laughs) Frank's going to spill his guts to us in an exclusive interview. Spookies has had a resurgence as of late due to the Blu-ray release by Vinegar Syndrome, and we can't wait to hear what Frank has to say about it. All that and more on today's episode of High on Horror. Oh, you got that rainbow belt, John, huh? <laughs> yeah. Today we're going to smoke rainbow belts. It's a uh, it's a hybrid, and it's mostly meant to relax you, and it kind of tastes like berries. So I'm going to spark us up, John. Why don't you tell us what we got going on in horror history this week? This week in horror history. Well, this week we have a Halloween anniversary. Uh, not one of the best ones. It's the 19th anniversary of Halloween Resurrection. Uh, I actually paid to see this in theaters back in high school. I was so excited to see a new Halloween on the big screen. Uh, I hadn't seen one since I was younger. It was Halloween H2O. Man, was I fucking disappointed. Buster Rhymes out here is Freddy. Over here piecing Michael up and ended it with a goddamn roundhouse. And, you know, he knows all this martial arts, you know, because he just watches movies. And also, how in the hell are you going to name a main character in a Halloween movie, Freddy? I know it's spelled different, but like, come on. Really? I definitely agree with you. Um, And basically everything you said, you know, um, I've come to love Halloween Resurrection. You know, like, uh, I love all the Halloween films uh, for one reason or another, one way or another. You know, uh, the good ones and the, you know, the bad ones are both embraced by me at this point. I find them all enjoyable to an extent. Even though I'm forgiving of the bad sequels, you can clearly see that the series has about three really good films. Uh, For me, the original, Halloween H20, and 2018. 2018 replaced Halloween 2 for my top three. Um, Anyway, I do enjoy Resurrection. It is clearly a step down from the better films in the series, but it is fun. And you do get to see Michael Myers fuck people up. I don't mind the mask in that film either. Um, How do you feel about the mask? Uh, I like the mask. It's one of the better ones. H2O, uh, part five are terrible. I know you don't like part six. I I don't mind part six. Uh, But with Resurrection, I also got to say there's really no likable characters outside of maybe Deckard, who's portrayed by Ryan Merriman. And the only thing is he's not in the house. So he's never, there's never any concern for his safety. And he's about the only likable character. So that seemed wasted. Uh, the two positives that I can take from the film, the opening is incredible with the one mental patient that's just reading off Michael's kill list and he's talking about other serial killers. And the other one is it's really ahead of its time in terms of using live streaming as a premise for the movie. I mean, live streaming wasn't even really a thing in the early 2000s or, uh, I mean, honestly, for about another decade, it wasn't even a thing. And all the warts that this movie has... It's still better than any Halloween movie that Rob Zombie put out. 
<laughs> well, uh, you know what? Uh, here's the thing, dude. Yes, the movie sucks, but here's my point. Uh, Michael never fucking went to space. I'd rather see Michael get his ass kicked by a rapper than see him fucking go to space. Thank God the Halloween series somehow avoided space. I mean, there are some terrible films in it, but it avoided the whole series as a whole avoided space and that whole cliche. I mean, Leprechaun did it. Hellraiser did it. Jason did it. You know, so Halloween never quite jumped to the shark with that one. But, uh, yeah, uh, fun fact, though. Uh, Rick Rosenthal, who directed Resurrection, also directed Halloween 2. And um, up until David Gordon Green... David Gordon Green, yeah, who did Halloween 2018, Halloween Kills, and Halloween Ends. Rick was the only person to direct more than one Halloween film in the series, unless you count the directing John Carpenter did on Halloween 2. Carpenter kind of did like a film and a half in the series. Uh, going back to touch on uh, talking about Michael not going to space. To defend Jason X, it has a more memorable kill than any of the ones from Halloween Resurrection. Uh, I, I, can, I can agree with that, but when I look at Michael in Resurrection, that's Michael Myers. When I look at that fucking metal mask and shit, that's not Jason. You don't like the fact he looks like uh, the old logo from the Anaheim Mighty Ducks? <laughs> no, I mean, I know Kane Hodder loves that mask, and I know, you know, it's uh, a lot of people like that look, you know, and, and that's cool. I think the movie's fun as a whole to enjoy, but if I'm watching it to actually watch a good movie and criticize it, I have nothing but things I can pick out about it, like pick apart with it, you know, like there's, there, the, it's enjoyable because it's bad. If I were actually reviewing it, it would not get a good review. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, yeah. You got me on that one. I would take Halloween Resurrection definitely over Jason X anytime. And uh, with that said, uh, let's move on to our Puff Puff S. All right, our first question comes from Joe in Wilmington, Delaware. Hey, what's up, Joe? Uh, it's pretty cool having a Delaware guy uh, write in. Uh, I'm from Newcastle. Uh, okay, uh, Joe wants to know, um, I know you guys primarily focus on horror films, but what are some of your favorite horror novels? Great question, Joe. I read a lot. Horror books can vary so much. You have H.P. Lovecraft, who hardly goes into specific detail, and you have Stephen King, who goes into almost too much detail. Uh, some of his books are so detail-oriented that it can be a bit boring. But Stephen King is king as far as I'm concerned. My favorite novel by him is It, and Christine is a close second. But besides him, I'm a huge Clive Barker fan. His Books of Blood series is fantastic. The short story Dread, to this day, is my favorite short story. I remember when I first read it that I made my sister and my wife read it immediately. That was one of the most, if not the most, well-crafted short stories I have ever read. And the ending is so profound. Also, I'm a big fan of Joe Hill. Horns is probably my favorite book of all time, honestly. That book is amazing. And uh, I actually just finished The Amityville Horror by Jay Anson, and uh, it scared the shit out of me. It was more the wording than the content. Uh, you know, the simplicity of how it's worded, that's what crept under my skin. Uh, I highly recommend it. Um, John, what's your thoughts? Um, I Well, here, first, I'll pass you that. I, uh, I haven't read too many horror novels. Um, I, I've, read, I've read some Edgar Allan Poe stuff, uh, which I was a fan of. I've read maybe half of it. Um, I, I read the Freddy vs. Jason novelization, and, I mean, it was pretty much just a movie with more of Freddy's backstory, 
if I'm remembering that correctly. Um, but not necessarily books. I have read the Child's Play comic books back when I was at middle school. Um, but other than that, yeah, I would I would have to defer to you on books. Uh, my uh, attention span is way too short. <laughs> well, uh, it's funny you said that you read for the Freddy vs. Jason novelization because uh, I read the Alien vs. Predator novelization, and it was basically the movie in a book with a lot of like a few details added in that weren't really necessary and i'm kind of glad they kept them out of the movie (laughs) yeah it feels like a lot of those film ones uh from what i've seen are just pretty much cash grabs they just get somebody to transcribe the movie into a book yeah uh the most recent example of this is uh godzilla versus kong uh i cannot i do not know the author off the top of my head nor do i plan to read the book but uh I just see a lot of people online, you know, saying how, uh, you know, there's scenes added in and like the mythology's changed and stuff like that, or there's things added. And I'm just not a fan of that stuff. Like, I don't find that canon at all. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we'll move on here to our second question uh, from James from Mount Vernon, Maine. He wants to know if we've visited any iconic horror landmarks or any film and locations. Uh, my, me, my, uh, excuse me. Myself, I've been to the Stanley Hotel, uh, which was the filming location of Stephen King's miniseries, The Shining. Uh, the tour, I, hi- I highly recommend the tour there. Um, it's, it's well worth the admission, and uh, there's some good stories about King uh, staying there, um, because he actually stayed at the hotel on chance because him and his wife were supposed to go up to another hotel, but the snowstorm was so bad that they just stopped at the first hotel. And actually, uh, for what they said, his novel helped save the hotel because it, they were planning to bulldoze it and turn it into condos. But because of his book, they were able to get National Historic Landmark status. And uh, I've also been to the Colonial Theater, which is located in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. Uh, it was the shooting location of the original The Blob from 1955. Uh, I actually went there um, to go see if anybody's familiar with Angry Video Game Nerd. When he was uh, premiering his movie, he did an event there. Uh, He's big in the horror as well. Uh, He was doing an event to promote the trailer for his movie. Uh, That's uh, off the top of my head. That's the only two places I can think of. Have you been anywhere, Drew? Uh, I have not, unfortunately. (laughs) Uh, I've lived a very boring life. Uh, I went to Vegas in like 2005, and that's about my extent of traveling uh, expertise. Um, yeah, um, it's something that I do plan to do, though. You know, even for this podcast, you know, we're discussing going to filming locations and doing episodes. So hopefully someday. Um, I think that's amazing that, you know, you got to go to the Stanley Hotel and to the, you know, the theater that the Blob was at. That's awesome, dude. Hopefully I can do something like that one day. Um, all of you listeners out there, if you have any questions for us, reach out via Instagram or Facebook or email. Now it's time to get into our discussion slash review of Spookies. Spookies debuted in France 35 years ago, but it didn't make its debut in the U.S. until two years later in 1988. Spookies involves a group of young people and some random old head that is with them for some reason who get into big trouble when they decide to explore a ramshackle mansion. They believe that the place is empty, but soon they discover they're wrong. Of course, we've seen a Haunted House movie before, but if you see one where a wicked sorcerer has been Bill Cosby and some woman for 60 years via black magic... Using that and human sacrifice, he tries and awaken his comatose bride. 
He's super fucking close to succeeding and only needs a few more sacrifices. Of course, these morons show up at just the right time. He sends out his zombies to welcome them and bring them back. Will creepy Prince Charming be reunited with his unwilling bride or will our group survive the night? <laughs> well put, man. Well put. All right. So uh, typically, you know, I write up like a little blurb here or a little review here. But uh, Spookies is the exception to that rule. I did not write anything up. Um, I don't know how to review it without being biased, honestly. Uh, to you listeners out there, uh, I grew up in a broken home. And finding Spookies and watching it countless times on VHS pulled me from some dark places. It wasn't until many years later that I discovered what a mess it is, honestly. Um, as a kid, especially when you're using horror as an escape, uh, all I saw was, you know, a Grim Reaper, a Spider Woman, a creepy old man, and a crazy demon lizard. That stuff. The continuity and the cohesiveness of it never occurred to me. Then I bought it on bootleg at a convention a few years ago, and it dawned on me how confusing the plot is. <laughs> um, uh, then, once you know the story behind Spookies and how it is literally two different half-movies melded into one, Spookies was, was originally titled Twisted Souls, but was overtaken by financer Michael Lee and a new director, Eugenie Joseph, a former porn star turned director who knew nothing about making movies or the horror genre. What we get is the footage filmed for Twisted Souls and then new footage with new characters directed by Eugenie Joseph, who thought that by adding new plot details and new characters into the film that it would save the film. What transpired couldn't be further from saving the film. Uh, the film was released under the title Spookies and quickly vanished into VHS oblivion, only to get recovered over 30 years later and restored by Vinegar Syndrome. For all of you listening out there who do not know, Vinegar Syndrome is a physical media company, and they are badass. They find the obscure films that have been lost and that people have been looking for, and they give them the special edition treatment on Blu-ray and 4K. I highly recommend that you check out Vinegar Syndrome. Yeah, you were talking about some of the uh, characters that were at it. Are you saying you're not a fan of the werecat with a hook hand who has like an Aaron Carter haircut? <laughs> Uh, the the cat that just runs around the whole movie just jiggling doorknobs nah not a fan yeah there's a lot of door opening in this movie for some reason a lot of door handles and uh you can definitely tell once you know that it's two different movies uh our sorcerer wasn't even in the twisted souls movie uh he's just added in there's no interaction between the characters uh, Jeannie made a lot of bad decisions on this movie. There's the random kid who's having a birthday party and he's talking to some stranger in the woods and he goes in to have this birthday party and it's just deflate, like half inflated balloons. None of them even have helium. They're just, they're just, there's nobody <laughs> there. Upside down to the ceiling. Yeah, they're upside down. They're like, it's terrible. Well, um, yeah, it's uh, the the whole thing with, you know, Eugenie Joseph taking over the film, you know, it just, uh, it really makes you think, you know, like what the film would have been had the original crew, you know, Brandon Faulkner and Frank Farrell and all those guys, had they had the chance to actually make the movie that they wanted to make. I don't think that we'd be sitting here talking about it, but I mean, uh, for some reason, you know, 30 years, 30 plus years later here, we still are talking about it, you know, like it had its resurgence and now it's the thing. And it's like... Uh, 
Spooky's kind of, you know, it's popular because it's like that bad movie that's like just, it's popular because it's bad, you know, and I totally understand that. But uh, yeah, um, in regards to the, like what you were saying about, you know, Creon, the old man, my biggest question, let me add to what you were saying about the shit that just does not make sense. Where was the attic he's staying at? The whole movie, he's in this fucking isolated ass attic, just talking to his like son and the little fucking werecat dude, you know, in his little pirate shirt. And, like, he's, like, you know, playing chess and shit. And it's, like, where is all this happening at? Because they walk through every room of the house in the film. There is no freaking room. There is no room where this old man is doing all this. So it's, like, what an obvious way to just show the audience. It's just so half-assed. Like, how nobody would believe that. Nobody with their right mind is going to believe that Creon is in the fucking house like that. Like, it's obviously shot separately. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, and so, some of the effects uh, from, from Twisted Souls, uh, the creature effects were good. Uh, but but you can tell that they just took the raw footage and there was no editing done on it. Um, I have to say, this is the only movie I've ever seen the Grim Raper thrown off of a roof and then he explodes when he hits the ground. <laughs> I mean, the Grim Reaper is badass looking, but yeah, his demise is just, his demise is like, what the fuck? Like, uh, there was someone who reviewed it. God, I wish I uh, had like, screenshotted it back then, but uh, someone reviewed it and said that like, they will never experience the joy and the terror of like how bad it is, like of seeing the Grim Reaper falling off the roof. Like they were sad because they're like, now that I've seen it one time, I can never re-experience that again. And I, I kind of understand that like when you first see it there's like this what the fuck you know like what the hell just happened and then you think about it you're just like it's it's just it's it's comical but at the same time it's kind of badass yeah and, uh w one of the other uh demons the spider lady um it's really a shame that we didn't get to see as i mentioned on the documentary there was more forms of her transforming uh in between of what we get as the final product and it, it's just a shame that we didn't get that in the movie yeah, I agree. And, you know, the thing is, you know, like those guys worked so hard and they, you know, they were just given such shitty conditions and, you know, uh, Michael Lee, you know, the, the Vipco owner, he just was just, you know, he was just on them and I'm not trying to bad talk Michael Lee. I don't know him personally, but you know, for you, you know, listeners listening, if you have the Blu-ray or are thinking about getting it, I highly recommend that you get it. The documentary, uh, the unmaking of spookies just really tells you everything that you need to know. Uh, me and John really couldn't say it any better than what you're going to hear there. And, uh, yeah, they were just, the, the crew was just, they had a chance, but they were just, you know, they were just getting pushed on and the back of their ne necks just getting breathed on the whole time and things, you know, constant tension on set and things just fell apart, you know, and, and it's a shame. And what transpired is a movie that, you know, a lot of them are not proud of, you know, and that's really a shame because those guys, you know, were a good team and, uh, they put a lot of work into this. So I'm really looking forward, you know into hearing what Frank's going to say with us. You know, I'm interested to hear what Frank's going to say. Yeah, and one last thing to add uh, that we didn't get to is the Ouija board that they use in the movie. It's uh, it's their own, own design, and I believe it was in the documentary. They mentioned that they did that because they didn't want to get in trouble for using the actual Ouija copyright board. Copyright issue, yeah. It was, uh, they they uh, changed it up so they wouldn't get you know hit with a copyright uh, lawsuit. Yeah, and with that, that uh, I think we'll move on to Burn and Learn. Oh. Hmm. Burn and Learn. 
Okay, real quick, for those of you who watch Spookies or who are going to watch Spookies, go to the part towards the end. I wish I had a timestamp for you. I do not. Go to the part towards the end where, you know, you see the witch. Uh, you'll see the effects guy, you know, off to the side holding the witch up, making her move. You got to check that out. All right. Uh, Michael Lee, owner of Vipco, the VHS company, wanted to make a haunted house movie with a PG rating. He reached out to director Brendan Faulkner and Frank Farrell and crew to make it for him. That's how Twisted Souls got started. Michael Lee also said he specifically did not want zombies in the film, but once Genie took over the film, he was okay with not only zombies, but apparently terrible-looking zombies. <laughs> Michael Lee also wanted to originally title the film Bowel Eruptor. <laughs> uh, the entire film, both Twisted Souls footage and the Spookies footage, was filmed at the John Jay Estate, he was the first Supreme Court Justice of the United States. Celia Duran, the art director, had to wake up three hours before the rest of the cast and crew so that she could set up the gravestones in front of the estate. The muckmen were not originally supposed to fart. Those farts were added by Brian O'Hara post-production because he wanted to make the muckmen funny. The snake demon was Ray Harryhausen inspired. Michael reached out to Twisted Souls cast and tried to get them to return with Jeannie behind the camera, but they all declined. Celia Duran refused to give Michael Lee the props from Twisted Souls to use in the Spookies footage. And now it's time to get into our interview with Spookies producer, Frank Farrell. You may or may not have heard of Spookies, but we all know Street Trash. Our guest today is the producer of both of those films. He was originally chief producer and executive in charge of production for Spookies, but his proper credit is missing from the final print. He played the seltzer zombie, the zombie getting sprayed by seltzer water in George Romero's Dawn of the Dead, and he gets his dick cut off in Street Trash. <laughs> Welcome, Frank. Thank you for being on High on Horror. Thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. It's, this is one of this is one of your early shows, from what I know. So I'm one of your among your first guests. Uh, yes, uh, th this will end up being our uh, third episode, and uh, we definitely appreciate you being on with us. And uh, with Spookies, uh, I know you weren't a part of filming that, but the birthday party scene in the beginning. Do you think that has to be about the saddest looking birthday party in cinema history? I find the whole concept pretty sad that it, it seems like a really lame idea. They, they, as you know, people, our film, we made a film, uh, we had a, uh, a major difference of opinion with the financial backer, and we wound up having the film taken over by other people who decided to scrap our footage, uh, I think, so they could claim a directing credit and put in a new framing story. But yes, that's part of the framing story. And... I don't get it myself. It just comes. It's it's really pretty lame to begin with. It's done in a way that uh, uh, nobody uh, in it in those scenes behaves like any human being that you may have actually seen anywhere. Uh, the uh, the kid is uh, then buried alive and never seen again, which is also inexplicable. Uh, was there anything that the other film crew filmed uh, that you actually enjoy from Spookies? Hmm. 
I would have to say only on the level of uh, of of being so bad that it's funny. Um, there's a lot of stuff that I find like uh, the. I mean, for me, the low point of the entire movie is where the uh, the woman, the bride of Creon, is running at the end, and zombies are chasing her, and a zombie pops up and says, "Mama." And, uh, you know, once again, what can I say? Uh, now, for uh, some of your part from the Twisted Souls part of it, uh, how did Peter end up with all these young people? Was he having some kind of inappropriate student-teacher relationship with Megan? Oh, you mean, uh, you mean why do we... Why do we have this older character? That was the uh, the idea that we had these younger people. First of all, none of them are teenagers. Don't for a second think they're teenagers. They're all in their 20s. The word teenagers is nowhere in the script or in the movie. So, uh, but that's just, it's such a, it's such an established convention that almost every review says teenagers. So I don't know how much I can do about that. Uh, but the reason they're together is we had... Uh, Assumed that they were sort of a, a a a couple that was maybe you know twenty years apart, and that that was the whole tension that was supposed to be going on was that this older guy was being made to feel very uncomfortable with these younger people who were also uncomfortable, and uh, you see some of that in the film as it is, but at the same time, uh, it was more uh, stated so that people wouldn't be asking questions like the one you just asked. Uh, you'd have some idea of why this was going on. And the reason, to tell the truth, we were originally ordered to cast all teenagers, and we didn't want to do that. And uh, the older actor, Peter Dane, was somebody we had worked with before, and we cast him specifically to give the film a little more gravity. Just as as generally, uh, I've always found that when you when there's a film that's just full of teenagers, it's it's uh, it's essentially the sort of film you usually make when you're a teenager and you have nobody but your friends to turn to. So uh, I, I guess um, you know we were looking to make it look like yes, there's there's actually an, an adult involved here too. Um, and uh, as it is, the film was recut. A lot of things do not exactly make sense. So people do ask these questions. And uh, with, with the John Jay estate that they all end up at, uh, yeah. how was that chosen uh, for filming? Well, um, to be honest, it was like we were looking at a number of places. There was another mansion that we had looked at for another project a few years earlier in Connecticut. And that would have also been a perfect location. But the great thing uh, about the Jay estate is uh, it was right in the middle, virtually, between where all of us lived in Westchester County. I lived in Mamaroneck, and then uh, Brendan Faulkner, who was one of the directors, lived in White Plains. The other director, Tom Doran, lived in Portchester. So we were all like within 10 to 20 minutes drive of this location, and it 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 made perfect sense. I mean, it was there. It was not being used for anything. The owner wanted to tear the place down and turn the property into condos. Yeah, I was going to say it's uh, it's really crazy that, you know, he was the first Supreme Court justice of the United States and they would want to tear tear that down. And I was going to ask if, if they were really charging a lot, but it sounds like he was just really happy for any kind of income he could get from it. We, we got it for a very good price. I mean, like, ridiculously low considering how much movie locations can sometimes go for. And we had the entire estate, not just the mansion, meaning we had, we, there was the mansion, but there was also a big carriage house. And that's where we had our makeup 
uh, pardon me, we had, we had a, a machine shop. We had a, a kitchen that fed the crew. Uh, we had we had a lot of room for production. So it, it, it really was quite a bargain in that sense. Uh, but at the same time, the, what was going on was the owner was looking to sell the property or get uh, uh, just uh, build condos there. And the, uh, you know, the city and the state said, well, this is of historical importance. And they did everything they could to block that. In fact, when we wanted to shoot, they attempted to really, they, 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 we had to go to a, a couple of sessions of the town council to get permission to go ahead with the project because they were worried about what we might do to the, to the house. And ultimately what happened, ironically, is that the house became a, was declared a national landmark. And that only happened, I think, because of the attention that was drawn to it around that time and, and afterwards, after we shot the movie there. Was there a lot of pushback from the town or was it just a small group that had a problem with the f- movie being filmed? It was just, it was just, it was, it was what you'd expect. It was like suspicious and who are these people? Who are these outsiders? What do they think they're going to do? You know, plus if you're making a movie you know, it can be a $5 movie and people immediately think Hollywood and that you've got all this money and that you'll have no respect for them. And uh, with the production, um, the best part I think it came out is a lot of the demon designs. Uh, did you have a personal favorite demon design? Um, my favorite of the monsters and my favorite monster scene, especially as the current version stands, uh, which was not our original edit, would be the uh, the Spider Woman um, that was, uh, probably the, in the original, in our original cut of the movie, that scene was maybe twice as long, maybe a little more. It had a lot more effects shots in it. It was a much more, I think, satisfying scene. And, uh, for me that, uh, worked as a scene. And as I said, and I thought the, uh, the makeup design, the monster design was creative and original. And if if I remember correctly from the documentary, the unmaking of Spookies, there was more, there was more than uh, what we saw with the Spider Lady. There was like four or five different tra- transformations. There were more. There were more than appeared in the final cut of the film, including a full body spider that I, I was a great thing just to have on the set, and it looked great on film. And I have no explanation as to why someone would cut it out. And uh, with with the Grim Reaper that comes to life, can you think of any other movie uh, where the Grim Reaper explodes after falling off of a roof? Now, I have a question about this. Why did people make such a big deal about the fact that the Grim Reaper, a a fictional, non-real character, the, the, who's basically a symbol of death, why can't the Grim Reaper explode? Well, I don't think we've seen it any anywhere else. But I mean, I guess if he is the Grim Reaper, he does have a lot of uh, uh, different possibilities. Right. But then, but the thing to really consider is that's not the actual Grim Reaper. If there were a Grim Reaper, that is a statue of the Grim Reaper that comes to life. So you can't really claim it is the Grim Reaper. That's fair, uh, but I guess you could counter with how many statues actually do explode when falling off a roof. In, in that manner. I mean, they, they, they definitely explode and separate, but maybe not with the sparks. Yeah, I, I, all I can tell you is we needed to – we, we had the fight up there. We needed to do something with the Grim Reaper. That's what we came up with at the time. Um, 
we in the explosion shot you if you look at it uh, carefully it's in slow motion and there's a big piece of of jagged metal that shoots out and almost hits the camera uh so uh i guess we got our money's worth but yeah that's it's it's it just amuses me that that's something people always ask about. And uh, also with the unmaking of Spookies, uh, you mentioned that everybody got a blanket party, including yourself. Uh, are you able to share any details of what happened with your blanket party? Yeah, nothing exceptional. I mean, do you, do you know what a blanket party really is? I guess if you saw the documentary, you got some idea. But it was basically like a hazing ritual, like a, almost a, like, like you'd see at a fraternity, but it's military uh, in origin. And essentially it would mean that uh, you would uh, – the, the blanket part of it is that they would take like a blanket, like a, like a sound blanket used to pad rooms for, uh, for echoes for when you're recording sound for film. Uh, and people would, you know, get around and everybody would grab part of the blanket and then they'd throw you on it and they'd like toss you up in the air repeatedly. But that was just the start of things. They would then do anything they could to torture you, you know, pour stuff on you. You know, I got, I remember getting like tossed into a, uh, a bin that was used to, to haul equipment around and being wheeled around in the house and spun around, you know. Uh, oh, and of course, they make sure you're incredibly drunk. <laughs> That's a, a prerequisite. And uh, despite all the problems with the production and how everything went down, uh, trying to make Twisted Souls, uh, do you find any enjoyment that the movie has a cult following uh, 30 plus years later? Oh, I, right now the the movie and the rediscovery of it has given me a new, uh, you know, a new way to go career wise. Meaning, people are like have been very, very kind, and and people, as I've discovered, all over the world apparently love Spookies and can't thank me enough for having made it. And or, you know, I'm I'm very touched by that, and, I'm, and it's finally some, you know, it's a feeling of of satisfaction over something that for me. And my partners was a sort of a, a blight on our careers because this was not the film we made. I think it's a much lesser film than the film that we made. Uh, and it just and because we did not know how to explain its uh, rather strange uh, way of uh, trying to tell a story, it was a very th difficult thing to show to someone and say, "Oh, here's my work." It's uh, you know, it's never a good thing when you have to make excuses for the work you're showing people. So. Um, it uh, it was just bad news for us at the time and for years afterwards. And uh, the fact that apparently uh, it's, you know, I've been just, I can't tell you how many times I've been told it's an 80s classic. And that never would have occurred to me until fairly recently. Well, uh, yeah, Frank, I've talked to you before, you know, on Facebook. And I've told you before how much Spookies means to me. Um, I experienced it as a, at a young age, you know, so it was like uh, the things that, you know, that I saw about it when I first watched it. I was, you know, I was escaping the war World War II going on in my living room. You know, I was hiding in my, uh, my, my sister's room watching VHS tapes. And all I saw was like the monsters, you know. So right, I understand right. the appeal that people have towards it. Like maybe they're like my age. You know, they grew up and all they saw was a monster film. But as you get older, you start to kind of realize, oh, shit like this this thing's kind of like glued together left and right you know what i mean well you yeah because as an adult you expect a story of some sort that makes sense as a kid you can just sort of you know it's i think it's easier to just flow with oh there's monsters there's this there's that you know it, it's easy you're not demanding that it makes sense um but i think a lot of adults who appreciate the good slash bad type of movie and who love horror movies 
I think you're willing to like put up with a lot sometimes because you get other satisfactions from films of this sort. Excuse me, my cat is parading around here. <laughs> well, um, uh, one of the things that uh, that really bothers me um, now that I'm you know revisiting Spookies all these years later and I'm able to point out the difference between the Twisted Souls footage and the Spookies footage is that you know when Carol's possessed and she's all you know Evil Dead looking, right? Um, she's like talking, but the I guess Eugenie and you know Michael Lee and those guys they they voiced they they put uh, Creon's voice over hers, so like you can't you can see that she is not saying what Creon is saying. Right. Do you remember like the gist of Carol's dialogue in the original print, like in the original version, like what she was originally supposed to say? I don't. Re- I, I mean, I've got a, a, the script around somewhere. I don't remember the specifics of what she said. Um, it really. I mean, what she was essentially doing was using the Ouija board to evoke each of these demons with the intent of collecting the souls of the people in the house, right? And uh, yeah, and as you as you obviously understand, the the character Creon was inserted, and then he was the one collecting the souls all of a sudden. Um, yeah, I, I, I would have to say it's uh, it's nothing I can remember uh, in terms of any exact words. All right. Well, um, in in regards to uh, Creon, uh, when Vinegar Syndrome released the Blu-ray, um, I saw that there was like a gathering that they did, like a little get together, you know, where you guys were signing autographs, and uh, actor Felix Ward was there. Uh, was that the first time that you guys had crossed paths? And what was that like? Was he like funny? Like that he did, did? Was he uh, like lighthearted about the movie, or was he kind of like you know on your terms? Where wait. Uh- now, as far as I know, Felix Ward was not there. Oh, he wasn't. I swear, I saw. I thought I saw him in a picture. I, I, I don't know where you got that information, but I Felix Ward was not there. I've never met him. Uh, Spookies, as far as I know, is the only film he has a credit on. Uh, he literally, uh, I mean, I'm guessing he may not have even been an actor. It may have just been some guy that they had available. Okay, got you. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I swear, I thought that I saw. Um, I'm gonna have to go back and. I'm going to have to go back and find the picture because uh, I swear I thought that I saw him, but I'll take your word on it. Obviously, you know, he looked old in the film. So me picturing him, what he looks like without the makeup is probably like, I probably thought he was someone else. Believe but. me, if, 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 if it turns out that Creon was secretly at the, <laughs> if, if it turns out that Creon was secretly at that, that sort of uh, opening event uh, for when they released the Spookies Blu-ray, that will be a sensation. The fans will love that. Uh, well, um, I had spoken with you on Facebook before, and one of our discussions, uh, you had told me that the uh, the footage that was used from Twisted Souls that they put into Spookies, that that footage that they took from you, that wasn't even properly edited. So, like the the lizard attack scene, for example, like there's a scene where it's getting stabbed in the shoulder, and then in the next frame, it's not wounded yet, and it's like you can kind of see the editing flaws. And I'm like, so so like that footage wasn't put together in any way yet, and they overtook it, and then just basically edited all the footage, right? nothing in the film as you now know it is cut the way that we, none of our scenes, I mean, there's plenty cut out, but anything that remains, nothing is cut the way it was intended to be cut. Not one shot that connects to another shot is there in the sense that it was intended to be done. Wow. I mean, it's sometimes it's simple things like in some of the opening scenes, when they first get to the house, there were like wide shots where the, there were takes of certain scenes where they were single takes and and the camera moved all over the place and we spent a lot of time setting up the shots. And now in the existing film, it's all close shots and, and they cut to each other. So the intention there is completely lost. Uh, 
strangely, uh, the monster scenes are almost all far shorter. Okay. Intended. Okay. Um, yeah. I, um, I was, uh, just going to wonder, um, do you, um, can you enjoy Spooky's Baked? I know you're uh, pro cannabis. Uh, can you, do you find yourself being able to enjoy it while you're, you know, intoxicated under the devil's I, lettuce? I, I don't think it will. I don't think it helps or hinders, you know, I mean, to tell the truth, I, for many years had a very difficult time watching the film because it was sort of universally panned uh, myself and my friends, uh, my partners, we made the original film, but we were so disgusted with it. We pretty much detested the film for years and could find nothing positive in it because nothing positive came to us. But in recent years, uh, prior to the Blu-ray release, but sort of embodied with the Blu-ray because that made it accessible to people. Uh, plus it had a feature length documentary about what actually happened during production. And so that cleared up a lot for anybody who knew the film. Um, I found that I am able to enjoy the film now with an audience because an audience, I see it, understand something. I had seen the movie prior to uh, seeing it fairly recently. I saw it uh, in, in a theater once in Times Square with, with virtually no audience there. And that was the only time I saw it on a big screen in an actual movie theater. I mean, I saw a rough cut on a projected, but but uh, this was the only version of the finished film. And I never saw it again on a big screen until I saw it at the Alamo Draft House in Brooklyn and saw it with a, an audience of like a couple of hundred people who loved it. And so try and understand that this went from being like something I didn't even want to admit I had, had been involved with to something where people, you know, are now gushing over it and, and, and they have an obvious affection and attachment to it. And they, you know, I mean, the point is for me that I think the thing that people most appreciate about the film, aside from the fact that it's kind of ridiculous and fun in that way is the monsters is the overall production. The, I mean, I think we gave it atmosphere. I think we, tried on all those counts and i think we succeeded in our original version but some of that remains and some of that i think still works for people and to tell the truth i mean most reviews of the films uh, even the poor ones will make a point to say oh but the special effects are great and and we we knew that yeah that's that's awesome i'm glad you know that you can find some uh some sort of you know like a uh, resolution after all these years of you know having it sit in your heart and soul in turmoil to finally you know be able to like appreciate it in some way or at least have a fan base that you can appreciate who appreciates it um so back to the uh back to the uh, marijuana um <laughs> uh what's your favorite strain and um how often do you smoke um I smoke fairly regularly, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe every day, every other day. It depends. I mean, I, I just, I generally will s smoke a little bit at times. Sometimes I just do it to relax. Other times it might be to just, you know, for creative reasons that I just sort of want to look at things with a, with a fresh head, so to speak. Um, I prefer uh, probably sativa strains if I'm working and I prefer indica strains if uh, I I just want to like blitz out and not have to be really too worried about anything, you know. Although I mean, I, although I have to admit, I got some I I, I got some, I I got some weed recently from my dealer that was far stronger than I realized, and I <laughs> I have to cut back on it. I think. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah. So, do you vape at all? I have. Um, yeah, and, and I do. 
uh, when it's possible. Um, as you may be aware, uh, here in New York State, they just uh, started to legalize stuff. And in a, in a year, in about a year from now, they will have recreational THC available in all kinds of forms, which they don't now. And I have sample products from like the other states where the stuff's been around for years. And uh, some of those products may be my favorite form of consumption. It's just, uh, you know, there doesn't have to be a lot of smoking. It's very pure, uh, very, you know, utterly pleasant. Um, you know, I think uh, I think the whole scene here in terms of what people do will change. So, yes, yes, I have vaped. Okay, well, yeah, um, I actually, yeah, I, I've I've just started vaping myself uh, the last couple of uh, months, and uh, I found myself uh, I like more of like the actual like uh, weed tasting oils more than like the fruity ones, you know, like uh, mm -hmm. you know. So uh, I definitely recommend you know checking out vaping. You know, it's like uh, it doesn't stink. You know, it's you know it's it's something that you can just kind of do. It's I, I really right, I'm a right. big fan of vaping, so that was why I asked, and especially with you, you know living in New York and with it being legalized, your doors are about to be wide open for some good shit. <laughs> um, so um, with Spookies and, and Street Trash on your resume, you have to be a fan of the genre. Yes, I um, am. So um, what, um, was like, can you name some recent horror films or directors that have stood out to you, like in recent, like in the recent years, like Hereditary, anything like that that's like stood out to you as a horror fan that's made you like, you know, a big fan in the genre again? I mean, to tell the truth, uh, a lot of the stuff, I don't necessarily go after or even like look at stuff that is within mainstream awareness as the stuff that I am most attracted to. I tend to, I, I'm, I'm more interested in, in, in interesting indie films that are, are sort of, uh, you know, just do something different and then satisfy me in some way. Uh, I like a lot of horror from uh, overseas, from Asia, from, from Europe. Um, you know, I, I guess I would say, um, you know, I try to be really wide open. I mean, a lot of people, you know, you get to a certain age and it's like, oh, everything now sucks. Not like when I used to, to make and watch uh, movies back in, in the 80s or the 90s or whatever it may be. Uh, but I, I, uh, I'm, I'm usually interested. I, I want to, every time I see a film, I want the director to like blow me away. I want to be amazed. I want to be impressed. I want something a little different. Um, my biggest problem with most modern horror films is simply that everything is sort of postmodern horror. And this may have been true since the 90s in that almost like I still, I, I don't know, 80, at least 80% of what's made is referential to previous films, either, either in terms of uh, genre or just a, a plot device or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, I mean, it's hard to believe the slasher film, which is, they're all pretty much the same very basic premise with variations has, uh, has gone on, you know, to, to spawn at this point, probably hundreds of thousands of movies. Yeah, um, I I agree. I think that uh, you know, a lot of horror films are just derivative of other horror films. You know, that's one of the things that, especially with slashers, they're all just like so derivative of one another. It's really a hard thing to come up with a fresh idea. I agree with you. I think a lot of indie films are trying to do that, and that's you know, taking the spotlight from Hollywood while you're getting countless Conjuring sequels. You've got people out there, you know, doing the right thing and keeping it real for the people that appreciate the actual you know art of motion pictures and not just want to cash in on the uh, you know commercialism of it. But um, so uh, I have a theory that I want to run by you um, real quick uh, before John closes you out here. Um, Viper. I think that Viper is in the barrels 
that kills the Muckman. I know that usually it's wine kept in barrels. I know that. But uh, Viper was melting motherfuckers down in street trash when they drank it. And these these Muckman, they get fucking melted down. They get fucked up when this stuff hits them. So is it possible maybe in some alternate world, you know? That's highly possible, except that except that street trash. Right. But bear in mind, street trash was made after Spooky. <laughs> I mean, anything is possible, but uh, that's something I'll have to keep that in mind. That's like uh, so, something to think about. And uh, I understand uh, you were working on writing Spookies too. Um, we're not calling it that, but that's essentially what it is. Uh, I'm writing something that's uh, sort of our, you know. Keep in mind, we made Spookies. Uh, it was a story that we, we we were just looking to make a film. We had a scripts already that we wanted to do. We got connected to someone with money, but they had a specific kind of film they wanted us to make. And so we went along with that. We tried to get as much of our own creativity into it as we could, but we still had a very narrow range. I mean, we were told to basically make a ripoff of The Evil Dead. And we had a list of things that it had to include. You know, the the monsters were our ideas. I mean, the original uh, designs and concepts and things. We hired most of the cast and and crew. We hired uh, the effects people. So, I mean, all that was stuff we had a certain amount of control over. Um, But, uh, pardon me, remind me what the question was. I got got slightly on here. Do you you remember what you just asked me? Oh, I was just asking a (laughs) <laughs> I was uh, just asking about you were currently working on writing a sequel to it. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. What I was building up through there was simply that, yes, I'm uh, I'm writing something. Um, my partner and dear friend, Tom Doran, who was one of the directors of Spooky's, passed away uh, just a few years ago. And we had at that time discussed, because there was a growing awareness and there was an interest in, in Spooky's before the, the Blu-ray came out. And we thought, well, gee, if we want to do a film now, the easiest thing to raise money for would likely be a sequel to Spookies, just because people have some idea of what it is. So uh, we talked about it, and he wrote like a few pages for an idea that I thought was great. And then we never talked about it again. And that was like seven or eight years ago. And so when the Blu-ray on Spookies turned out to be a a hit uh, and that people suddenly had this awareness of the film they never had before. I took that basic story and I'm like halfway through a screenplay right now, but what it is, it's really our answer. It's our response to what spookies became or what, you know, what it is meaning it's, it's, it's an attempt to do something ambitious that actually has some qualities of, of a real movie. Like, I mean, it has uh you know, there's attention paid to story. There are themes. There are characters, and uh, I think if if I can pull if I can pull off what I'm trying to do, I think it it should be something that makes everybody happy. I think it's far beyond what any Spookies fan fan might be expecting. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, if it has any kind of coherent story, it would definitely be better than uh, what they did with your guys' version of Twisted Souls. It's got a very complex <laughs> story. And uh, I understand that uh, 101 Films is doing a Blu-ray release in the UK of Spookies. They they just came out with that, uh, gosh, not long ago. I think it was uh, back in April. 
that was the second Blu-ray uh, edition of Spookies that's come out. It's similar to the one released in the USA. It has some different extras, and there's a, a new commentary track that's on that, and uh, a booklet. So you know, so they gave it a, a new presentation, and uh, you know, I mean, I, I uh, there are other there are other people who have talked about bringing editions out in other parts of Europe and that sort of thing. So I think the film will continue to get out there. And be around. Plus, as I guess maybe you know that uh, we uh, Joe Bob Briggs did us uh, about a month ago, and uh, Spookies was on the last drive-in, and that again that helped to raise its profile because a lot of people who watch that show are not necessarily that aware of horror the way some fans are. And uh, where could people find you on social media? And did you have any kind of events coming up? Uh, I don't. I, I actually, I'm, I'm basically just sort of uh, playing hermit as I have for the past few months. I'm trying to write the script and then my next mission will be to get it out there and see what kind of money we can raise. Um, the best place to look for me is on Facebook. I uh, am on Facebook almost all day and night while I'm doing anything else I have to do. And, uh, you know, I would say, I mean, I'm very, I love fans. I, I, I mostly, when I can, I like to talk to people. I love, if people want to communicate with me, that's that's certainly uh, welcome. Uh, you know, I as, as I said before, I, it was such a thrill to me to finally see the film in front of an audience that was so delighted with it, that it really, it gave me a pleasure that I had never been able to have with the film previously. And so when people tell me, that they like the film or they appreciate it or they have some personal connection. That means a great deal to me. It's like, it's cause that's what any filmmaker wants. You want people to be able to, to see your work and be affected by it. Hopefully in some positive way. Uh, well, we definitely appreciate you coming on with us today to talk about spookies. And uh, hopefully uh, when you get that script done and uh, we get the movie made, we can talk to you again about that. I'd be happy to do that. And I thank you guys for having me on. It was uh, fun. And, uh, you know, as I said, uh, you know, I, uh, I've enjoyed your show. I want, I've, I've seen an episode and, uh, I wish you guys the best of luck with it, with your podcast. Thank you. We truly appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon. Terrific. All right. Excellent. See you soon, guys. We appreciate you, Frank. Thanks. Thanks to all the horror hounds and smokers out there. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks again to Frank Farrell for joining us this week. And I have to agree with Frank. I too like Endica Strains when I'm trying to get blitzed out of my mind and melt into my couch. It's also awesome to know that after all these years, Frank finds some solace in the following spookies has obtained. And tune in next week where we speak with the director of the Malevolence Trilogy, Stephen Mena. And again, you can follow us online on Facebook and Instagram at High on Horror 420, Twitter at High underscore Horror, and you can also reach us via email at High on Horror 420 at gmail.com. And that'll about wrap her up for this week. Catch us later. Bye, guys. <laughs>